I hear people tell me, well, why are there so many different kinds of churches? If you're all followers of Jesus, shouldn't all the churches look the same? I'm going, no. It wouldn't be so boring if there's only one color in the world. God was giving us a deeper stewardship as Mosaic that we need to plant a flag in the future and call not only humanity there, but the church there as well. This conference is us together. And what Mosaic's calling is, what our mission is, is for us to be a voice in the wilderness. We want to be the place where everyone knows they have a place called home, where they don't have to agree with us to be with us, where they don't have to believe to belong. This is Mosaic. We plant our flag on this ground. Join Erwin McManus, Brian Houston, Judah Smith, and more for the Mosaic Conference, September 22nd through the 24th in downtown Los Angeles. Register and get more information at mosaicconference.com. Mosaic, this is Erwin talking to you from Sydney, Australia. We've been here at the Hillsong Conference. It's been an incredible week with 30,000 people from all over the world coming together to dream and to um, imagine what God could do through all of us making a difference in the world. Uh, it's been a beautiful time. And we have had our Sunday here at Hillsong. We're a day ahead of you, so we're in the future. And so we can tell you that today at Mosaic, this Sunday is gonna be an incredible day. Uh, Derek Miller is gonna bring a beautiful message and it's gonna inspire everyone. And some of you will have your lives forever changed because you chose to come to Mosaic today. But I wanted to take a moment and talk to you about what's happening in our country. Uh, across the world, across this ocean, we've heard the, the tragic reports of, of what seems to be unexplainable police brutality and then the unimaginable violence against innocent police officers trying to do their job and protect people. We're in a moment of, of tension and trauma, of violence, of hatred, and I want us to step into this moment and realize that the solution is genuinely found in the love that only Jesus brings to the world. We need to pray for our country. We need to realize that the issues of racism are real, that the deep sense of injustice among the African American community is, is deep and it's historic and we can't ignore it. At the same time, we also need to realize that, that acts of violence, taking the lives of police officers is unjustifiable. It is inhumane. And we need to step back and realize that violence is never the solution when violence is the problem. Hatred never makes the world better. Bitterness and vengeance only makes us worse. And I'm reminded today that this is exactly why Jesus came. This is why Jesus stepped into human history. This is why God has given us his solution of pouring love into our hearts. It is Jesus who ends our racism, Jesus who ends our hatred. It is Jesus who will end the violence. Now I wanna encourage you to pray, to pray for our country, to pray for our police, to pray for the African-American community, to pray for every person who feels that they have been violated by injustice, who feel as if they've been ignored or have been treated in a way that demeans the human spirit. And I want us to realize that, that even though there are people who have violated our trust, 
There are an endless number of police officers who walk in integrity, who live lives of great courage, who are honorable people, and they deserve our respect, they, res they deserve our prayers, and they deserve our, our affection. As Mosaic, let's be the people who brings the world together. Let's be the people who ends the violence. Let's be the people who erase the lines of separation. Let's be the people that reflect the heart of God and break the walls that separate us. May love be our force, our weapon. May we be the people who believe in love and advance the cause of Jesus to every human being. We love you guys. We're praying for you, and we'll see you soon. God bless. There are some weeks that are more difficult than others. Some moments that are more pressing. This, this week has been a hard week for me. As I imagine, it's been for so many. 150 people killed in Paris. 350 injured. Another 100 people fighting for their lives. The city of light consumed with darkness. When I wrote The Artist in Soul, the first three words of my book were, I love Paris. I've always had this affinity for, for Paris. There have been a few cities that have captured my heart over my lifetime. Tokyo, Paris, and LA. In fact, years ago, when Kim and I were in Paris and I was working with artists, at the end of our time, we were sitting eating together and she asked me if God was saying something to me. And I knew what she meant, but I pressed in, I said, what do you mean? And she said, is God saying something to you? And, and I could just fear, feel tears overwhelming me. And, and she was so certain that in that moment, I was going to ask her to move with me to Paris and begin a journey to try to reach that city with the love that Jesus has. I've always felt this deep affinity for its beauty and artistry for its history and humanity. And so this week, for whatever reason, has cut deep into my heart and my soul. And, and because I, I think I'm an idealist and I know that we have as human beings such potential for good, when I see the very worst of us, it just consumes me. Terrorism is an act of violence that wars against the human spirit. It intends to capture and imprison and control us with fear. But violence is not an act of courage, it is an act of cowardice. Violence is not an act of faith, it is an act of fear. Violence is not an act of strength, it is an act of weakness. And I want to take a few minutes today and lean into the words of Jesus as he speaks in a time 2,000 years ago that resonates with this moment now. And I want us to hear his words so that we could resonate with two words, not afraid. See, Jesus was born in a time of violence. 
Jesus was born in a time of oppression. And I think many times when we read the scriptures and we hear the words of Jesus, we think Jesus was born in an ideal world. We think that Jesus was born to freedom and opportunity and privilege. But the reality is that Jesus never lived one moment of his life as a free man. And yet not one second of his life did he live as a slave. You see, Israel was a slave to Rome. Every Israelite who was born was a slave to the Roman Empire. Jesus grew up in a world that never knew freedom, only oppression. And when Jesus was born, a king set out a mandate to kill every boy his age so that this rumor of a king would never come to fruition. Jesus was born into a world of violence and genocide, a world of terrorism and terror. And his family felt their only hope for a future was to leave their own country and become illegal immigrants in another country. And so they went to Egypt and hid away for fear of their lives until they could return one day. See, when Jesus speaks, he speaks in the context of a moment like this. And that's why his words are both so powerful and so poignant. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38, Jesus begins to talk to us about the end of violence and how we might reclaim our humanity. Beginning in verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people... What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is giving us a path to reclaim our humanity. But the end game of this journey seems unattainable. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Have you ever had anyone who had unfair or unreasonable expectations on your life? See, one of the great challenges in marriage is that you can never live up to the expectations of the person you love the most. And you can never live up to the expectations of the person who loves you the most. 
I've had people ask things of me that were unreasonable, and I was certain that they were only asking them to guarantee my failure. I remember in Miami in high school playing football and the football coach calling me in after spring practice and saying, when you come back in the fall, you need to weigh this much and you need to be this tall. I said, well, I can have some effect on how much I weigh, how strong I am, how fast I am, but I don't know how I can have any effect on how tall I will be. He goes, well, that's on you. (laughs) And that was difficult enough. And here you have Jesus saying, be perfect. And if anyone should know that we're not perfect, that we cannot be perfect, that we'll never be perfect, and that they're perfectly wrong if they expect that from us, it's Jesus. He should know. When he says, be perfect, that he's setting us up for failure. If you're here and you think you're perfect, you just need to talk to a good friend. (laughs) And Jesus says, be perfect... Therefore, even as your father in heaven is perfect. Oh, it's not bad enough to be told to be perfect. Now we have a standard. Be perfect like God. Of course, that's the standard. We should be perfect even like God is perfect. Done. At least now we have a goal. We have clarity about what we should do with our lives, what Jesus expects of us. And so as I read that, I thought, Jesus, you, you need to illuminate me. On the end game of this journey, how do I reclaim my humanity? How do we come to the end of violence if the end game is our perfection? And so I looked up this word. It comes from this Greek word, telos, which is talking about the end game, the finished product, the completion of us. And when he says, be perfect, even as Your heavenly father is perfect. What he's telling us is that God absolutely perfectly fulfills who he is as God. But you are not living up to what you were created to be. See, God always fulfills his intention. He's always good. But we have created a language that reveals our lack of intention. We are humans who live inhumanely. We are the species with the highest intention and the only species that can live betraying that intention. What Jesus is saying is in the same way my father is who he is, you need to become who you were supposed to become. Be perfect. Be human again. Even as your heavenly father is, which informs us that there's something about God that's supposed to affect who we are. Now, sometimes we get this thing wrong. We think we're supposed to become God. Or we're supposed to be gods. Or there's, there's something godlike about us, and so we get a promotion. Eventually, we stop being human and finally become divine. And I think the reason we think like that is because we know what a mess we are as humans. How in the world can God take this human material and create something worth preserving for eternity? He has to have a different plan where he ends our humanity and he begins our divinity. That's only because we have lost sight of what it means to be human. And the parts of God we always want are the omnis. You know, the omniscience, the omnipotence. The omnipresence, we want to be all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present. I'm up for that. I mean, God, you want to make me all-powerful? I'd love that. 
I, 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 there are times I, I just wish I was all-powerful, except when I think about what I would have done with all that power. Have you ever had thoughts about, oh, I just wish you were just gone? <laughs> Imagine what happened. Oh, wow, oh. If all your thoughts became reality. Think of all the people driving down the 101 who would no longer exist. <laughs> the really, really, really slow waiter. Boom. Gone. The person you're dating right now. Boom. Gone. Just because a fleeting thought, I can't take you anymore. Boom. Gone. If you were all powerful, I think you'd be alone. Because you do not have the character to handle that power. I want to be all-knowing, but I don't think... I'm not even doing that well with what I know. I'm not handling the information of what I know. I can't even live up to what I know. I can't even love, live up to the person that I know I need to be. If I were all-knowing, I think I would just be crushed by the guilt and shame of that knowledge. And I try to be all-present, as every type A personality does. But I think then I would be micromanaging the world. See, the problem is we cannot handle the attributes of God without the character of God. When he says, be perfect, therefore, even as your heavenly father is perfect, he's not offering us his power or his infinite knowledge or infinite presence. What he's saying to us is, I'm giving you the greatest gift I could give you. I am giving you my essence. I have given you my character. I created you in my image and likeness. You're supposed to reflect my heart. You're supposed to look like me, not my attributes. I want to reclaim your humanity. And he said that in the midst of so much inhumanity, that the journey seemed impossible, if not overwhelming. And so he begins, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. When Jesus uses this phrase, you have heard that it was said, it, it's Jesus talking about the language of the street. See, Jesus didn't grow up in an ivory tower or some obscure cathedral. Jesus knew the language of the streets. And he, when he says, you've heard that it is said, he's saying, you know, you know what we say. You know, we all believe a tooth for tooth and an eye for an eye. And if you were violated or offended or wronged and you were going to retaliate, you didn't have to convince your brothers to retaliate with you. You didn't have to convince your tribe that it was the right thing to injure those who injured you, to take from those who took from you, to wound those who have wounded you. Because everyone knows that on the streets, there's a law. It's a tooth for tooth and an eye for an eye. That's what we all say on the street. I was doing some research on how the campaigns are going, and so I was watching Saturday Night Live. And, and I saw this, this brief interview between MSNBC and the Democratic candidates. And then they had this wonderful spoof on Senator Hillary Clinton. And in the interview with Senator Clinton, they asked her, if you could speak another language, what would it be? And she said, oh, I'd like, it would be casual English. <laughs> so then I understand phrases like hang in there. 
You see, God understands the language of the streets. He understands the philosophy of the everyday person who doesn't say these things publicly, but it's what they live by every day. See, where Jesus lived in the Middle East, it was just common knowledge that if someone hurts you, you hurt them back. If someone violates you, violate them back. If someone wounds you, you wound them back. If someone wrongs you, you wrong them back. And you're not wrong to do wrong when you've been wronged. Because doing the wrong thing when you've been wronged is always right. Because it's a tooth for a tooth and an eye for an eye. But it leaves the world toothless and blind. And Jesus says, Jesus says, I tell you, do not resist the evil person. And that phrase, it violates so much of me. Because evil people need to be resisted. There's a, there's a part of me that was a fighter from birth and will be a fighter to death. And when I see evil, I want to go to war with evil. When I see violence, I feel violence swelling inside of me. And when Jesus says, do not resist the evil person, I'm saying, what are you saying, Jesus? Are you, are you just wanting us to take a posture of weakness or apathy? Is this you advocating pacifism? What, what are you actually saying, Jesus? And what he's actually saying in this moment is that we are not to cower down to evil, but rise above evil. Do not resist an evil person. What he's telling us is you cannot resist evil with evil because an evil has won because you have become who they are. There is a better way. There is a way to win this battle for the human heart that no weapons of war can ever, ever accomplish. Because in the end, human history has this continuous certain narrative that we have war after war, violence after violence, conflict after conflict. And whatever nation has existed, whatever empire has existed, whatever governments have existed, whatever laws have existed, somehow we've not been able to change the human heart. We've not been able to address this issue. Have you seen how developed we've become as humans? We've made so many advancements. We've created technology where now we can speak on phones to anyone around the world. And invisible waves travel the earth and we can speak as if we're sitting next to each other. We've created 3D printing where we can actually create organs. Where once we could only photocopy letters. We have technology that can clone sheep can cure diseases, can replicate human limbs, and we cannot figure out how to change the human heart. Jesus says, do not resist the evil person. You do not understand what evil intends. Because evil knows that if you choose to war against it with its own weapons, you have lost the battle because evil seeps into the human spirit and corrupts and consumes us all. So don't cower down and don't run away. Rise above and do not let evil paralyze you with fear. He goes on to say in specific applications, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. I hate this. 
I went, really, Jesus? Because I'm not that crazy about letting anybody slap my cheek, much less giving them the other one. I say, duck and weave, bob and weave, block and strike. Hit first when you just see them thinking about it. That way they have to turn the other cheek. It's on them. The best way to never have to apply this is to hit first. Ask for forgiveness later. And Jesus says, when someone strikes you in the cheek, turn the other cheek. See, the context is important. Have you ever been in a circumstance where you are powerless? Where you feel powerless? Where you feel that others have power over you and they're abusing that power? There's so many ways of having your face slapped. So many ways of feeling that violation of power against your soul. And it's, it's so easy when someone slaps us for us to justify our revenge. Have you ever noticed that revenge is always justifiable? I've been reading about ISIS this week. I've been getting emails from friends around the world. And it's extraordinary to me that if you read one series of narratives... ISIS is really just Islam. And every Muslim in the world is evil. And every Muslim in the world wants to kill you. And every Muslim in the world is a radical. ISIS is just simply the pure expression of Islam. And then if you read the narrative on the other side of the world, ISIS is the direct product of American intervention and political corruption that created a context for violence and hatred toward the Western world. And what's extraordinary to me is how easy it is to create a narrative that blames everyone except the people guilty of the violence. See, I want you to know something. There's probably pieces of truth in the midst of all the falsehoods. Because we're uncanny in our ability to justify our evil. And when you choose to wrong someone, you'll always have a right reason for doing the wrong things. You don't know what she did to me. You don't know what he did to me. You don't understand what happened. Have you ever noticed that when a person has been wounded, they take those wounds and turn them into their weapons? Isn't it odd? When you've been abused, you hate the abuser and then you become the abuser. When you've been violated, you hate the violation and then you become the violator. A child grows up with an alcoholic father and hates what it's done to his family and then he becomes the alcoholic father. Why is it about us that when we're wounded, the wounds go so deep, they breed a darkness that makes us the agents of those wounds? It's almost as if those wounds have a life of their own. We call that darkness in humanity. And Jesus says, there's a higher way. There's, there's a strength of forgiveness. See, when you've been hit on one side of your face, you could run in fear. You could cower in weakness. Or you could find a strength that humanity does not understand. I remember when I was in fifth grade, we moved a lot. We were sort of in our own version of the witness relocation program. And we were moving from place to place to place to place. I didn't understand it when I was a kid. But it was horrible because we had to constantly be reintroduced to new students in a new world. And then I had the name Irwin, which made it even harder. 
And it was fifth grade, and I was sitting in the back left of the classroom, and I realized my pencil wasn't sharpened. That's when we had pencils. And I got up to go sharpen my pencil, and the pencil sharpener was on the front right. And there was this giant kid. I mean, the largest, the largest human being I'd ever seen in my life blocking the path to that pencil sharpener, leaning back in his chair. I'm pretty sure he was the result of some kind of nuclear testing. And, and I thought, oh, what am I going to do? So I, I got up and I went his way and he was leaning back and I said, excuse me, I, I need to go sharpen my pencil. And he looked at me for a long time and wouldn't move. And I just said, excuse me. And he said, don't come back this way. And everyone heard it. It was the first day of class before the teacher actually walked into the room. He moved forward and I went through and I started sharpening my pencil for a long, long time. <laughs> I just kept sharpening until I almost had a little nub and eraser. And I thought, what do I do? Do I, do I go back the same way to my chair? Do I go, do I go around him and make everyone think I'm a coward? I am a coward, but I don't want them to think I'm a coward. And, uh, or do I go back this way and risk my life? So I grabbed my pencil. And I walked back that way and I decided better to die with honor than to live with shame. So I walked back and he was leaned back in his chair and I, I, I remember his name. Robbie. I remember his last name, but I won't say it in case he feels badly about this. And I said, excuse me. And he said, three o'clock. Time of death. He moved his chair up. I went through. I sat down and I couldn't even focus that day. I couldn't think about class. I couldn't think of anything. At three o'clock, I'm going to die. At three o'clock, and, and people were more than willing to let me know where I was supposed to meet him at three o'clock. And, uh, and I didn't have any friends. My brother went to that school, but like I said, I didn't, I didn't have any friends. And, uh, and, I, and I was there waiting in the playground for Robbie. I, I don't know why I was early, I, but, I, but I was punctual. I, I, and I, I thought that would be impressive. And... Uh, and, I, and I, I was waiting there, and, and then I saw him coming. First, I, I thought he wasn't going to show. Oh, I was so happy. I thought, just like other bullies, they're just all talk. He's not going to show. He's afraid. He's afraid of me somehow. He's afraid. And, and, and then I, I, I saw his shadow looming over the horizon. As he walked in my direction, I could feel the trembling of the earth. And, and, and what was more terrifying to me than seeing a person who could eat me was seeing he had friends that were bigger than him. My brother was sitting on a log. He goes, go get him, Irwin! I'm like, you shut up. I'll, I'll deal with you later. And here he walks up to me, and he has twin brothers, Bobby and Billy. I remember their names, too. There was Robbie and Bobby and Billy. And you know how guys have to, like, talk before they begin the battle? I knew I had to say something. I knew I probably would only get one line. So I looked at him dead in the eye and I said, I see you brought help. <laughs> Just, it worked for me. I, 
I, I felt like Cool Hand Luke, you know, and, uh, and he looked at me without hesitating. He goes, no, they're just here to watch. I, I believed him. I, I, I felt he was telling me the truth. And you see, when Jesus said these words, there were Hebrew men, young men, strapping, powerful men who had Roman soldiers who would not be their equals in an equal world who slapped him in the face to instigate an act of violence, slapped him in the face to see if they would retaliate so it would justify a greater act of violence, who slapped him in the face to try to get inside of their souls and make them feel powerless so that they could use their power over them. And Jesus says, let me talk to you about the strength of forgiveness. When he slaps you in the face, I want you to find a power inside of you. I want you to find the strength of forgiveness. I want you to look them dead in the eye when they think you're going to slap back and just say with all of your soul, not afraid. You cannot make me who you are. I am more than that. Then he says, and if anyone wants to sue you or take your shirt and over your coat as well, it's hard enough to hear Jesus say, if they slap you on the face, let them slap you on the other side of your face. All right, Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe that the way to reclaim my humanity is the strength of forgiveness. But, but what's mine's mine. And why should I let someone steal from me what they have not worked for. And if anyone wants to sue you or take your shirt and hand over your coat as well. See, that was part of the problem is that they were slaves to this empire. And the Roman soldier could walk up to you and say, I, want, I like that shirt. Do you think he looks good in that shirt? I think he looks good in that shirt. But I don't think he looks as good as I'll look in that shirt. In fact, it's, it's cold out here tonight. I need that shirt to keep me warm. Give me your shirt. And if you didn't give him your shirt, he would take your life. Can you imagine how emasculating it would be, how demeaning it would be that you would have to take off your shirt in public and give it to this Roman soldier because he decided it was his? He would steal that from you. These tax collectors who would sue you because they had the Roman Empire backing them up and they're stealing your hard-earned money. Have you ever had someone take something from you? It feels like such a violation. We've had quite a few people steal from us over our lives, sometimes in business, sometimes just old school. In fact, Kim, if you know my wife, she's one of the most generous people, so giving, but she would always give away our stuff. I mean, I would come home and the furniture would be gone. I go, where's the furniture? She goes, oh, there's this young couple, they, they needed furniture. We need furniture. And uh, I came home one time and our refrigerator was gone. We had a little tiny igloo icebox where the refrigerator was. And I said, honey, where's our refrigerator? She goes, oh, I met this couple. They needed a refrigerator. I said, I met a couple that needs a refrigerator. It's us. We don't have a refrigerator. What are we going to do? She goes, well, we'll just live out of the igloo. I'm like, they could live out of, give them the igloo. Get me back my refrigerator. And, and, and I would be out of town. I'm telling you, Kim would give away my clothes. She would give away my shoes. I wouldn't even, I, 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 I wouldn't even remember until I, I would see people at Mosaic walking in my clothes, wearing my shoes. I'd go, those are my shoes. So, oh, yeah, yeah, you were out of town. And you, know, you just have so many. I just thought I'd give them away. Generosity doesn't count when it's not yours. 
And, and Aaron and Mariah grew up like this. They grew up like this all their lives, just watching everything just go out the front door, back door, side door. So one day when Aaron and Mariah were younger, Aaron came in and said, hey, dad, did you go away? Did you, did you give away your barbecue grill? I had this big old manly grill where I cooked my meat. It was like where I met God. And, uh, and Aaron said, did you give away your grill? Because he wouldn't think that his mother would give away my grill. I said, I didn't give away my grill. And I looked at Kim. She said, I didn't give away your grill. And I said, you sure? Think about it. Because he goes, well, because there's four guys in the backyard or something like that taking your grill right now. These four guys backed up their truck, opened up our gate, backed up their truck, and was stealing my grill in my house, in our backyard, while we're home. I mean, I was just, just done. I just got up. That's why I'm chasing them. And when they saw me coming, I don't remember if I grabbed my samurai, samurai sword. I don't carry guns, but I believe in swords. And, uh, and, and, and I started chasing them. When they saw me, the truck took off, but the, 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 the grill was only halfway up the back of the truck. There's one guy driving, other guys in the back of the truck trying to pull the grill up, and other guys running behind the grill. And they just take off down the street. And I'm like yelling at them, let them know that I'm going to catch them. It's going to be bad for them. And I must have had like crazy in my eyes because these four guys are driving off afraid this one guy is going to catch them. <laughs> Don't let me catch you. And they're just running, and I'm chasing them down the street. And I can see the frantic in their eyes. I just made eye contact. I let them know it's going to be bad, but I'm going to get my girl back. And finally, the guys decided it was better to cut bait. And they dropped the grill in the middle of the road as they took off. I grabbed my grill. I walked it home. Don't take my grill. And Jesus says, oh, if they want your shirt, give them your coat. What am I supposed to do? Chase them down? You forgot the propane. <laughs> we used to be over in East L.A. In the barrio. Over, you know, where the brothers live and a lot of L.A.M. and... And there was a lot of like a violence in the streets and everything like that. And I was out of town and my wife, Kim, calls me and she goes, I can't find your car keys and I'm stuck here. And I was a little nervous for her because there was like a lot of gunfire and just a lot of criminal activity, a lot of violence. I cannot tell you how many times I would just walk into a house and try to stop a husband from shooting his wife or a wife from shooting her husband or just constant and, I, I, and she's like, I can't find my car keys, but, I got, but don't worry, I got these guys here at the church. And they're helping me look for the keys everywhere. They looked for hours with her. They were so gracious to look for hours with her for my car keys. And I thought, oh, no, this is not good. Because, like, my wife, she's white, but she doesn't know she's white. And, uh, you know, I mean, she's, you know, she thinks she's hood. And, uh, you know, she, she does. She, she preaches like a black woman. She's just like, you know. And... Uh, she knows she speaks Spanish. She's, you know, she's like, you know, she's Latina. She's everything. And, and I'm like, oh no, she's just going to make some dumb decision. And, uh, and, and she's going to get herself killed. And she got her ride home finally. And the guys who helped her all day look for the keys were the guys who stole the car. They had the keys all day. And they helped her all day long. And so she finally gave up and left. And they took off my car for a joyride and had low jack. 
So I had the police track them down. I found them. And when I saw them, I was not a happy person. There was no love. I was like, oh, man, I just stopped you because you forgot the trailer that attaches to the back of the car because Jesus wants me to give you the coat, too. See, the teachings of Jesus are not easy, and that's why Jesus had to teach them. They go counter to what our nature demands. And Jesus, I want to teach you the strength of forgiveness, but I, I, I want to help you find a new freedom through the wealth of generosity. Do not let greed steal from you your generosity. And so when that Roman soldier says, give me your shirt, do not lose your value or your strength or yourself. You take off that shirt, you give it to that Roman soldier, you go, hold on a minute. I have a matching coat. You can't wear that shirt without the coat because you clearly cannot take the cold the way I can take the cold. So I'm going to take care of you and give you the shirt and the coat because clearly I'm stronger than you. We usually think that the generous are the weaker, but the stronger. The thief operates out of fear of not having enough. And the generous knows there's always more. And then Jesus says, oh, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. What in the world are you talking about, Jesus? This is not a hike up Mount Wilson. This is not doing some kind of aerobic exercise with friends. You go, I just can't do it. Can't go a second mile. He said, Jesus said, go a second mile. Come on, burn those calories. Get that heart rate up. Go that second mile. See, this was not a mile that anyone would want to walk. Because those Roman soldiers, they could, they, they, they could force you to be their slave for a mile. They, they could pick you out of a crowd, and if you just looked like you were too full of yourself or you were just too much of a man, they'd want to bring you down a few levels. Can you imagine these Roman soldiers seeing someone like Jamar? You know, ripped, <laughs> tall, good-looking, killer smile, single, available, Intelligent, loves God. And you said, you, Hebrew dog, my mule needs some rest. I want you to take the pack off my mule and carry it on your back. And you're just going to walk behind my animals for a mile. Because that's who I am and that's who you are. Because you're nothing more than a dog. Can you imagine what every step of that mile must feel like? Do you know how many different ways of retaliation you could think up in a mile? I'm a very creative person. You, you harm me for a mile? You demean me for a mile? You humiliate me for a mile? My mind would reel of all the ways this mile is going to cost you so much more. What you've taken from me, I will take back a thousand times over. And Jesus says, that's a bondage I cannot allow you to choose. When you walk that mile, you want to be free? See, that moment when you take that last step of that last inch of that longest mile, that moment when that Roman soldier says, all right, you can put the pack down or you can put it back on my donkey. 
You're free to go. See, that's the moment you must choose a greater freedom. If you choose to take a step back, you are their slave. But if you choose to take a step forward, you are a free man who's discovered the freedom of servanthood, the greatness of sacrifice. Wouldn't it be amazing? I would love to watch that moment. I would love to be that moment. When the Roman soldier who thinks he has power over my life, who thinks he has control over my choice, who thinks he can change my character, I would love to be that man who steps at the end of that mile when I'm told, you can go now. And I can look at that Roman soldier dead in the eye and say, I've just got started. You've underestimated my capacity, my strength. My courage, I'm taking another mile for you because clearly you're not strong enough to carry your load alone. See? You can step into those moments when you get hit on the side of the face and you can make a choice that says, I'm not afraid. You can take that moment when they take your shirt and you give them your coat and you're declaring, I am not afraid. You can take that moment when they finally release you and you step forward and walk the second mile because you have chosen a higher way and they will know that while they have tried to terrorize you, you are not afraid. And then Jesus culminates with this. You have heard that it was sad. Love your neighbor and And hate your enemy. That was just the talk. That was what everyone understood. You know how you make it. It's a dog-eat-dog world, right? You got to do what you got to do. You you know what I'm talking about, right? You know what goes around comes around. God helps those who help themselves. The most quoted verse in the Bible that isn't in the Bible. Because God does not help those who help themselves. God helps those who help others. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I want to say, Jesus, these words are hard words to receive. And they're harder to live. He says that you may be children of your father in heaven. See, the only way you can know that you are a child of the Father in heaven is that you not only love your neighbors, but that you love your enemies. Because when you love who loves you, and you love who is lovable, you've done nothing extraordinary with your life. The proof of God is that you love who you cannot love. And you love who you should not love. And you love who does not love. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And this is why so many people stop believing in God. And they say, how can there be a God when there's so much suffering in the world? How can there be a God when there's so much violence in the world? How can there be a God when we choose to live like this? And God says, I respond to your evil with love. I choose to war for you 
while you war against each other and against me. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? See, there is a reward in loving your enemies that cannot be perceived by those who do not love. And if you greet only your own people, if you receive only your own people, if you make room in your life only for your own people, if you create a safe haven only for your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Jesus says this is the way to reclaim our humanity, to embrace the strength of forgiveness and the wealth of generosity and the freedom of servanthood and the power of love. This is where we find our greatness, where we recognize that darkness cannot be defeated by darkness, nor hatred by hate, nor violence by violence. And governments will do what governments do, and and, and armies will do what armies are built to do. But you and I, we need to understand that the human heart was never intended to be a a container for hate. That the human spirit was never supposed to be a source of vengeance or hatred or violence. And while nations need laws, humans need love. And the problems that have existed since the beginning of time Problems that will exist for all the foreseeable future cannot be solved by governments or nations or empires or laws or constitutions or policies. They can only be solved when there is a change in the human heart. Because it is what is within us that corrupts the world. And if we allow bitterness and anger and hatred and racism and injustice to live in our hearts, then we will never be free. And we will hate all those who are. And on this day, while we think of the people in the city of light who have been imposed upon with such a great darkness. Let's choose to be the light in dark places. See, the the purpose of terrorism is to terrorize. The purpose of evil is to paralyze you with fear. The purpose of darkness It's to cause you to cower in the dark corner and close your eyes in fear so that you never see that there is a light coming for you. I love the way of Jesus. It it violates me. It troubles me and disturbs me. And it makes me so desperately want to be this kind of human. And if I cannot solve all the world's problems, if I cannot bring peace to every square inch of this earth, if I cannot bring peace to every heart, then I will begin with my heart. And I will not allow hatred to exist in me. 
I will not allow bitterness to consume my soul. I will not allow injustice to prevail or be justified in my life. And I know if I can choose a way of peace and a way of light, if I can choose a life of hope and a life of love, then all of us can make that same choice. And if all of us make that same choice, we can inspire the world to make that same choice. The world will not be different until one person is different. But when one person is different, the whole world can become different. And we need to declare to the world, we choose a different path. Our weapons are not the weapons of this world. Our ways are not the ways of this world. We have heard the words of Jesus. And we choose his higher way. And I am not afraid. For love will prevail over hate. And grace. Over war. Because the way of Jesus is the way of humanity. And then the violence begins when we reclaim our humanity again. Why don't you stand with me for a moment? I want us to choose a higher way. I want us to choose a path that rises above the evil, never cowers beneath it never embraces its darkness that we choose a way of light I want us tonight to declare together we choose the path of Jesus which led him to a great sacrifice not to take someone's life but to give his life on our behalf and tonight I want you to declare with me I am not afraid I choose the way of light. I am not afraid. I choose the way of life. I am not afraid. I choose the way of love. But so that we can have everyone in this room together, I want you to bow your heads with me just for a moment. I want you to block everyone else out. I want you to close your eyes. Is there some of you here tonight and there's a war raging inside of you. There's chaos inside of your soul. There's fear or bitterness or wounds. And you've justified doing the wrong thing because you've been wronged. Tonight you want to be free of those wounds. You want to be free of that bitterness. You want to be free of that darkness that is consuming your soul and tonight I want to invite you to cross the line of faith and give your life to Jesus who was crucified for you buried and raised from the dead because the only solution to the human problem is the solution that God has made for us and if you're here tonight, you to Irwin tonight, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to trust him completely. I want to give everything so that I could belong to him. Tonight, I choose to cross the line of faith. Tonight, I choose 
to begin a new journey. Tonight, I choose to give Jesus my life. Tonight, I choose to declare him my Lord and my God. And if that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer. But before I pray, I want you to make some kind of acknowledgement that that's you. I want you to make the small act of faith saying, yes, I choose to give my life to Jesus. Would you lead me in that prayer? I just want you to raise your hand high and say, that's me. Tonight, I give my life to Jesus. Beautiful. Just hold it up high and fast right now. Tonight, I choose Jesus. I need Jesus. I need his peace. I need his forgiveness. I need his healing. I need his love. I need his life right now. Just hold up your hand high if that's you right now. Beautiful. Anyone else before I pray? I don't want you, I want to miss you. I don't want you to miss this moment. Anyone else right now? Just hold it up high. This is for you. This is not for us. This is for you. Anyone else before I pray? All right. Just pray this prayer with me right now. Jesus, I give you my life. I give you everything. I know you died on the cross for me. You rose from the dead. And tonight I ask you for your forgiveness. I ask you for your love. I ask you for your life in me. From this day forward, I belong to you. I confess you as my Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Would you look up just for a moment? I got a great email today. It was from someone in Paris. In the subject, it said, President McManus. And he said, I think you should run for president. But I want you to know something. See, I'm insane enough that if I thought the way to solve the world's problems was to be in Washington, I would be a politician. I am here in Los Angeles at Mosaic with you because I know that governments and policies and laws and nations cannot solve the problem of the human spirit. I am here because I know Amen. That it is Jesus who has come to heal the brokenhearted, to wound, to mend our wounds, to bind us together, to replace our hate with love. We are here because we've come to know that it is the death and resurrection of Jesus and Jesus alone that changes the human heart. And I want you to know when you pray tonight and ask Jesus into your life, you have entered into a revolution that changes the human future. You have entered into the revolution that Jesus started 2,000 years ago, and it is a revolution of love and of faith and of hope. And I want to welcome you to the revolution, for you are the future of humanity, and you become the hope of of the world. And can we just thank God for all of those who just asked him to realize. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Remember, we can do together what we can never do alone. Go to mosaic.org slash give and join us in taking this message and spreading it across the world. God bless. Thanks so much.